This is John Stepling, and this is Aesthetic Resistance, and this is podcast 32, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, with me uh, are Corey Morningstar in Toronto. Hi, Corey. Hey, hi. <laughs> uh, Johan Edebo in Sweden, Hello. in the north of Sweden. Hi. Um, and Hiroyuki Hamada um, out in Long Island. Um, hi, Hiroyuki. Hi, John. Hello, everyone. Um, so, so uh, there's so much stuff to talk about, and it, it feels like we could almost do a podcast every day um, <laughs> and, and not cover all the things that I feel somehow need to be covered. Um, but I've, I've been getting a lot of um, emails and, and private messages and stuff from people that listen to these podcasts, read articles that various ones of us have written. Um, and, and they're all very positive and, and people have questions, you know, and, and um, I hope that we can, we can kind of try to answer some of those today, but I know we were talking um, uh, before we started recording here about education and uh and that seems extremely important right now given uh the the changes and and what almost feels like a war against children these days and the implications of the lockdown and uh the reset and everything in terms of children and education so um let's start there and whoever wants to to begin um can begin. Hey, hi everybody. Um, I can begin. Can I? Yep. Can I? Can I read something, and Please. then maybe, and then maybe we can launch into something. Okay. So this is on um, the words of. I want to talk about all that stuff too, John. The education and the, um, um, you know how detrimental this is to children. It's really worrisome and bizarre and incredible really to, to watch what's happening, um, to watch what's being allowed to be implemented um, on children. Anyway, this is words of Klaus Schwab from his book published last June or July of 2020, COVID-19, The Great Reset. Um, okay, so there is no denying that the COVID-19 virus has more often than not been a personal catastrophe for the millions infected by it and their families and communities. However, at a global level, if viewed in terms of the percentage of the global population affected, the Corona crisis is, in brackets so far, one of the least deadly pandemics the world has, has experienced over the last 2000 years. Um, <laughs> Yeah, in all likelihood, unless the pandemic evolves in an unforeseen way, the consequences of COVID-19 in terms of health and mor morality will be mild compared to previous pandemics. At the end of June 2020, in brackets, at a time when the outrage is still raging in Latin America, South Asia, much of the U.S., um, COVID-19 has killed less than 0.006% of the world population. To put this low figure in context in terms of lethality, the Spanish flu killed 2.7% of the world's population and HIV AIDS 0.6% from 1981 today. And then it goes on about that. So there you have Klaus Schwab saying that this pandemic 
um, in terms of health and morality will be very mild. Mm. And, and just saying um, to date last June, 0.6, sorry, 0.006%. And we have to remember as well, those cases, as we know, are inflated and those are deaths with COVID, not necessarily from COVID. And, right, and the whole, right, and the whole idea in a pandemic, why do we have to infl- deliberately inflate the numbers if it's a deadly, you know, if it's as deadly as it really is? And it's because it's a fear campaign. Right. Anyway, I wanted to read that. I think it's important. Well, I, yeah, no, I think it's, it, that's, <clears throat> it's very fascinating. I wrote a letter to the CDC um, uh, several weeks ago asking about, um, COVID and, and uh, children, the numbers, percentages, and they finally wrote me back, uh, actually a very detailed letter, um, the conclusion of which was that 0.01% maybe um, have, of children under the age of seven have died um, from COVID. In other words, nobody. Yeah, I think it's literally um, and, just one uh, or two people. Sorry, children. Yeah, and, and in the world. So, so <clears throat> in the world globally, I mean, yeah. it's like nobody. So, um, and yet, and yet, there is there mm-hmm. is this extraordinary amount of fear mongering, and and I see people, um, families, and all of them, including children, in masks, and um, uh, it 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 speaks to the fact that people have been frightened. People are extraordinarily afraid. And um, I suppose in a way, nothing frightens people quite as much as contagion, the idea of contagion, because it's, it's, you know, something you can't see. It's this strange hidden evil that lurks and sneaks up on you or whatever. I don't know. Just let me come in um, there for a moment. And and in contrast to these facts, uh, you still have had a, a lot of the reporting in, in the media and so on, at least here has been focusing upon the, the subtle and indirect danger to children and a few cases where uh, some form of uh, neurological uh, effects of, of the, the COVID infection uh, has um, uh, happened to, to very young children and, and I, early on like in in last summer and, and so on there was there was this discussion and, and there has always been this this uh, focus on the indirect and inherent danger to, to kids even though young children haven't truly really died from the primary effects of any infection so it's uh, and that's probably also an important factor in the decision to uh, limit, uh, uh, close the schools and so on. Right. No, I mean, that's the argument that I hear um, from schools here um, when, when, when the kindergarten preschool was um, on very limited hours and children were kept in very small groups at a great distance from each other. It was, well, we don't want... Um, if if one of the children is is a carrier somehow, of course, subsequently they kind of found out that children aren't, but doesn't matter. Um, that, that that this would somehow limit the spread of it. Um, but it's reaching it's reaching these these kind the, a kind of logic 
um, that I got a letter from the school the other day that said um, it's possible, possible, maybe that somebody um, was in Indore, which is where I live, which is a, a town of 2000, um, uh, who, who visited the, um, the supermarket and the apteca and um, the wine store between two o'clock and five o'clock, they maybe were infected or came into contact with at least maybe somebody in Oslo who maybe had one of the variants that they've identified in Great Britain. So if you were in those stores during those hours, you should go get tested. Now that's a whole string of maybes, you know, um, it's so it, that's beyond anything reasonable in terms of, of, you know, the logic of protection or something. There's never a consideration of, of the effects of fear mongering and um, the, the, the segregation of children into small groups, the keeping of children from their friends, the fact that children all recognize that there is something scary going on that, you know, their parents are terrified about um, the, the 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 psychological effects of, of the lockdown restrictions is never discussed. Yeah, I just well, you know what? It, it's really hard to discuss about uh, stuff like this because th there is a tendency to indoctrinate and propagandize against children um, to begin with. Um, you know, kids are prepared to be obedient workers uh, in schools and um, um, different people from uh, different uh, backgrounds are uh, uh, put into this framework to be um, uh, citizens of the nation. And uh, so there's always uh, this uh, inherent tendency uh, in the uh, educational system. And um, it's already, um, there's a fertile ground to mm. do what's being done today. So when we get into yeah, yeah. Um, um, the specific problems of um, abuse in humanity, um, you know, it, it's hard because the parents, teachers, they have been complicit in this scheme. Um, so, you know, it's... Uh, but it's I'm interesting that you say... To be honest. It's, it's really interesting that you say this here, Yuki, because I, I would argue that what John describes here, the, the segregation of children into small groups and this fostering of a sense of fear and, and dependence upon authority and so on, I, I, I would argue that this is one of the chief purposes of schooling in modern industrial societies in general, because you, you regiment children, you, you keep them in separate uh, age groups and you teach them to be dependent upon this, this government or at least this uh, state sanctioned authority. I, I was just gonna, I've been reading up on a little bit of history inspired by, by this Gatto's uh, work. And uh, I have you heard of uh, Axel Uxenscharna? I suppose you haven't. No. He, he was the, like the <laughs> Lord Lord High Chancellor of, of Sweden at the the beginning of the era of empire during the 17th century. And he was there was no formal schooling of any sort at this time. And he was uh, he was appointed to this position of Lord High Chancellor at, at the, the the ripe age of, of 23. And 
when he sent his own son uh, to Germany, I don't know how old he was, but maybe in, in his early 20s. So his son was sent to represent Sweden in the peace negotiations in Germany. And his son then doubted whether he was uh, like competent to, to perform these duties. And then his father responded, do you not know with how little sense the world is really governed? And that, I think that was a poignant uh, quote from him. Uh, and you can also, if you, if you look at the age of the leaders of the American Revolution, it's really astonishing how young many of them were. I mean, even several senators, uh, brigadier generals of the, of the militia, they, they were about 20 years old and there was, no, there was no schooling back then. You just assumed that people were competent and they were trained in everyday life, in practices with their neighbors and friends and, and in the whole of society and so on. Yeah, I would agree with you, Johan, that school is like absolutely, um, you know, to mold and shape children through indoctrination and, um, you know, erasure of class, um, revisionist history and all the rest of it. But at the same time um, in our society, that's where to our children play, right? And that's where they yeah. socialize and play and they play sports and they interact. And so to me, that's what's, you know, the big, mm. the big, um, threat right now to our children not so much that they're being educated um quote unquote but that they're being separated and isolated from one another right, right. From, well yeah. i i just wanted to read very shortly i want to read something this time which um was actually gohan recommended in his book um but he quotes elul and his book propaganda and he's talking about education um, so I'll just read this short paragraph. The individual has no chance to exercise his judgment either on principal questions or on their implication. This leads to the atrophy of a faculty not comfortably exercised under the best of conditions. Hmm. Once personal judgment and critical faculties have disappeared or have atrophied, they will not simply reappear when propaganda is suppressed. Years of intellectual and spiritual education would be needed to restore such faculties. The propagandee, if deprived of one propaganda, will immediately adopt another. This will spare him the agony of finding himself vis-a-vis -vis some event without a ready-made opinion. Hmm. Now, that, I think, is, speaks to certainly American education and and but Corey's point is is quite correct. I, I don't know anybody personally for many decades now who thinks education educates anybody. Mm. Um, there's a enormous cynicism in the West about public education, institutional education. Everybody knows. Um, and yet, you know, there is no alternative and people have to go get degrees and all of these things. But um, uh, you, 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 children need, acutely need to play with um, other children, children they don't know, children they don't live with. Um, you know, I have twins and they spend inordinate amount of time with each other. Um, and it's it's crucial. I when they everything was shut down here, I saw the all these stress indicators um, that because they weren't playing with other children, they were getting very sick of being with each other. Um, so the socializing is is 
um, crucially important. And and it's basically, like you have been moved. Some social strange action. way, this is this is what's being suppressed too, right? I mean, that yeah. this idea of tele-education and stuff is a way to to keep children isolated. It seems. It's to go online. I mean, they want, this is the beginning of online education, which is uh, managed globally, right? By, um, I within days after the lockdown, after the pandemic was announced by the um, world, what is it, the WHO, which partnered on that same day with the World Economic Forum and approximately 200 other corporations on that same day, uh, um, when was that March 13th? I, I think on 20th, 24th, just a week, um, 10 days afterwards, it was announced the Global Education Project. That's probably not the right name, but I've done lots of um, posts on that. And that's all the biggest corporations in the world um, launching at that time. So how much work went into that before it was announced this project to have every child in the world um, have access to online education, right? So that's where this is headed. I mean, there, there's no, there's no doubt about that. That's where what this is for, and that's where we're headed. I was just gonna say that, uh, in line with with what you're saying and what Jan is saying here, it's like that the social aspect of the formal schooling has been removed like this this the yes. only good thing about the social uh, about school has been stripped from it and all that remains is this this institutional indoctrination which can be then performed against children in isolation from each other as you describe and that's that's really quite dystopian i think it is. So I, I don't want to over talk or say too much and take away from other people here, but I think I want to read this today and it's out of a, a piece of workout started. I was working on it in the fall and then my winter was hellish and I had to sort of walk away from it and I have it open again today. I want to finish it, but there's a part in this, that I think speaks volumes and it just, I mean, I couldn't even believe it when I read it. And so it's out of my new piece and I'm just going to read it because this is really um, encapsulates what's happening and what this um, pandemic is all about and what's, you know, the whole great reset. Um, so anyway, this is written. Right. This is this is written by a young person in the advertising um, industry and in, in the film industry. And this is written by um, a strategy a strategy director at a creative agency and actually it's the agency behind Greta Thunberg's film documentary film that was purchased by Disney by um what's it called Hulu um last year so I found I came across this and I I think it's just stunning so written last May um as people grow increasingly detached from the physical world and culture is being led by what happens online, we can instead look at digital spaces as an extension of the physical world, a way to further enrich the human experience from Nike Training Club, Rafa's brilliant community features, National Geographic's photo community to something as simple as sharing passwords to your Netflix. It is the digital life that brings us together. Navigating the no touch future, sorry, navigating the no touch together future. As the culture, cultural and social climates shift, so does technology's role in human connection. 
it is up to us to continue prioritizing humanity and all experiences, both physical and digital. Um, we've all come to realize how the digital world is not something else and that just as real and just as human as the physical spaces in which we live. So it's all about um, community. It's actually titled community does not mean together. Community does not mean together. Yeah, amazing. Right? right? Becoming increasingly detached from the physical world. Right? Yeah, like is this a, is, a, is a good thing. It's a virtue. Right? Yeah. This, is the, this is the program. This is the conditioning that we're conditioning our children for. That we're conditioning. That this is what we're feeling as we're being conditioned, as we're being engineered daily. Weekly, monthly. Much to say about this, it's it's truly it's truly horrifying. I just have had a thought that uh, I would argue that that our self reliance and our competence and our critical faculties they're all anchored in in our connection to reality, to connection to the the physical, the tangible, the social realities that we all live in. And if you if you disconnect us from this, that then we we lose every possibility of, of true self-reliance. We become entirely dependent upon authority and, and the, the power inherent in the technological structure. All right. You know, I've, I've um, talked to a lot of teachers and, and um, educators over the last couple of decades, and I've done a fair amount of teaching. Um, and, and, there's very little question that that the your average high school student is um, much less literate and much less competent in in things like math and and history than they were 50 years ago. Mm. Um, uh, it's you know there are countless myriad examples um, of of questionnaires handed out to high school students where they you know they can't pick the Pacific Ocean out on a map. Mm. Um, uh, things that are just breathtaking, um, and uh, the the I, the other thing is that that there's also very less that the the screen habituation that that high school kids and junior high school kids habituated to communication and texting via smartphones um, it has fostered uh, spike alienation, suicide, self-harm, um, drug use, etc. Um, and and uh, yet the, these there are certain myths that seem to persist. And you know, just as an anecdotal aside, when I was a boy, and this is a very long time ago, my father used to take me to a lunch counter to get you know ham and eggs or something. And there were maybe 20 people at the counter and maybe 15 tables in this little place that I remember. And there was one leader who worked um, and handled the table. And he never wrote anything down. And this was common. This was not anything extraordinary. And when you said, okay, I want to pay, he would say, okay, yeah, eggs, bacon, sometimes $30. Although in those days it was more like it'd be three dollars fifty cents. Uh, he did it all in his head, and this was not seen particularly unusual. So, so you would be very hard pressed to find that skill set today. I think I don't know 
kids who can't, who don't, I mean, they absolutely rely on a computer calculator. Um, so, so there's, there's been this decline in, in, you know, basic learning. And um, as I say, I don't know people who really believe that education is, is there to educate anymore. I'm not sure what they do believe, and I'm not sure why there isn't more resistance or, or anger about this, but, but there doesn't seem to be for whatever reason. So, um, <clears throat> you know, the, the idea that, 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 um, that the digital space is an extension of physical, I mean, it's horrifying. It's horrifying. It's absolutely not true, firstly. And computers and classrooms have been abject failure in everywhere it's been tried. It's been a failure. So, uh, but that leads back to the, you know, the, the intentions, which is something touched upon in this. But anyway, Corey. Um, I, I mean, here in Canada, we're not even teaching cursive writing any longer to children. It's been taken out of the curriculum. So children will not be able to read a letter that's been written in cursive writing, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's bizarre, you know, and all kinds of strange things have happened. I mean, our children will not die or be harmed by um, the coronavirus, but they are being harmed um, massively by by the isolation and the lockdowns via suicide, via mental um, anxiety, depression. I mean, this is not a secret. This is all over the place. Um, doctors speaking out um, how heavily the children are being affected by this. And yet nothing's happening in Ontario where I am, the Thames Valley District School Board has recently banned hand washing. It's they they cited that there was mold at a couple of the schools around the sink, so now it's only sanitizer. And so you have all these oh. tiny little bodies rubbing um, hand sanitizer that's full of nano silver particles. It's actually pesticides and chemicals being absorbed into their tiny bodies. You know, fifteen times a day. I think it's every 15 minutes or every half an hour, they use the hand sanitizer. It's stripped off the tables. There's at least two instances in the Thames Valley District School where it's eaten through the floor. There's holes in the floor from the hand sanitizer. And so they had to close the meeting about this and just decided that it's, you know, the, the benefit is worth the risk. And, um, in our hospital, I live right by a hospital where I am in the city. And at this hospital, they had to take out one of the sanitizers. The nurses were using it. And there's lots of nurses that live in my neighborhood telling me they were all getting sick from it, feeling nauseous mm -hmm. and sick. And it was, um, they, they removed it because it was um, a carcinogenic. They took it out. Right. So the idea that these are safe, I mean, whatever happened to common sense of staying sick when you're home, washing your hands, hot soap and water. Right. So all the most <laughs> basic things that we used to do are being removed. And all this, of course, helps helps capital. Because right. It, Finding yeah. new kids. Right. And, and, you know, getting children used to they're Long not going to wash their hands anymore. They're going to look for the sanitizer. They're going to they're lifetime consumers of sanitizer. I mean, if you look at the prices of these things, they've, they've tripled. Lifetime consumers of bottled water. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, what I mean, we're a long ways that I remember, you know. And children are so looking at really people think. without so, masks yeah. uh, as threatening, right? They see a person without a mask and they're afraid, right? And they ask their parents, they pull on their they pull on their shirt tail or, you know, their coat and ask them, why does that person not have a mask on? You know, oh, well, oh, well, honey, that person's really bad, right? Um, so there's just so, so many underlying elements to this. Uh, Johan, you had something to, to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just thinking about, if, if we're in sync now, I was just thinking about that he head counting ability you mentioned. And, and going back to, yeah. the, to, the, to the history, I mean, <clears throat> we had basically a, a bunch of teenagers defeating the, the British Empire, the, the greatest military power in the world. While today uh, I'm I'm not qualified to unclog my own toilet because the the insurance will be void, and I mean I think this this loss of competence and self reliance really drives anxiety for for the human being because we're essentially rational and competent beings, and when we're robbed of this, it's like it's a kind of radical domestication of, of our consciousness that produces this anxiety that then propaganda and education functions to relieve. Then, then you have authority that functions as a kind of medicine for this alienation and anxiety you get. And then you can like vicariously experience this power when you partake in state rituals, in, in, uh, in mask wearing or in, in saluting the, the great leader. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's absolutely true. And there's no question that, 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 there has been a drop off in skills and and um, craft skills um, have all but disappeared. Um, yeah. And like what we when you open the show, we talked about I mean, we talk about that a lot. The domestication of the populace, you know, Hiroyuki has written a lot about that and, you know, um, about basically the metaphor of the cage and everything. And I think that's more powerful and, you know, it's it's. It's more um, prominent than ever. I mean, it's hard to believe what's happening, you know, in the obedience. We're spectators, right? I think we maybe had a discussion about that. It's like sports where everyone goes to the, you know, there's hundreds of thousands up in the bleachers and everyone's screaming and everyone picks a side, right? You pick a team, then you scream and yell. And, you know, as Johan was saying, you have release event. And then you go home and you have, you know, but that's like social media and, we're, and we all pick sides and we're all screaming, yelling, grumbling, complaining, but we, you know, we're not um, embracing or using, utilizing any power. We're not uniting and resisting. It's just sort of sp um, a venting space. And right. yeah, we just become spectators and spectacle. You know? Well, you know, I think that that there has been um, a, a disconcerting rise in, in or increase in, in just general passivity in, in the populace. Um, and, and some of that certainly connected to, to this reliance on screens on, on the digital world and, and the intersection of the Internet in everybody's lives um, is it can't be over overemphasized i mean it 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 has profoundly um eroded uh of, of the connection to the real world in fact and and everything that, that goes along with that i think and it has it has 
caused an, an atrophy in the imagination. Um, it has deadened curiosity. Uh, and and if you watch children play, they you know my kids are endlessly entertained with like sticks and rocks outside. They f- create all f- manner of fantastic narratives for themselves. Um, they they should not be put in front of a computer uh, to to try to do that digitally. It it will rob them of all the basic impulses that they, that they are born with, I think. Um, But, you know, this is, this is, this is, um, there is this other question that kind of hangs over all this. And and I would love to have people comment on it. And that is, we talk about the world economic forum and, and we talk about their partnership with, you know, various governments and, and global institutions and NGOs and so forth. And, and, all of these corporations, hundreds of corporations that, that are tied into it, the military is tied into it. They all cooperate. And I think people have to understand right. in a I'm very sorry. basic, <laughs> basic <laughs> have to understand in a basic way that corporations and these giant NGOs and the World Economic Forum are not well-intentioned. They are, they are, um, driven by various agendas, but they are almost all self-serving. And and um, you know, I was watching a, a short documentary today, actually talking about the the predatory activity of NGOs and like the Gates Foundation and all of these various governments, Western governments in Africa, the plundering of Africa, but also the 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 stopping of the African dream of African development mm. under the guise of, you know, environmental concerns. And um, I just can't shake um, the idea of how important uh, racism is, white supremacism in all of this. And I think people tend to... Um, to not give enough importance to that. Whenever you hear the overpopulation people, they are talking about too many black people. That's what they're saying. Not too many people, too many black people. And stopping Africa, which could be the most powerful continent in the world, they have resources, they have extraordinary population that's very young. And this, I think, whether consciously or not, strikes fear into the, you know, the Imperium, the Metropole, the European power elite. Um, and, and I don't think that's a fantasy or a, in quotations, conspiracy theory. I think that this is a, is a, is a real fact in all of this, but I open this topic up also for conversation. Johan. Yes, it's, uh, it's really interesting that you, you raise this issue. Because just a few days ago, I think that even the UN has stated that at least 2.5 million young people and children have died as a result of the, the lockdowns, not, not as a result of COVID, in, in the third world, in third world countries, due to the effect on the economy. So indirectly, what you have here, I mean, you, you're undermining the political and political independence of our resource colonies. Right. Corey, I'm, I'm getting used yeah. to people 
having their hands up. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I mean, Johan's exactly right. When we don our masks up here in virtue signal in the global south, people are literally um, starving to death. And that was prevalent from the beginning of the lockdowns um, last year, initially, you know, in India, you saw people actually starving and dying, you know, and so I just wanted to add to that, you know, Gabby and micro is, you know, Gates and, and Microsoft are two of the founding partners of the center of the fourth, fourth industrial revolution with the world economic forum, who I think, I believe now have 13 centers in the world in the past two years are really, really growing. And um, Gabby has earmarked, you know, billions of dollars, almost all the, all the vaccines are going to Africa. I think it's almost 90% to Africa. Um, I'm using ballpark numbers in my head here and one, one compared to 1% in Europe. And so you've got vaccines going to Africa. Why Africa, half of their, I, I believe around, I'm using ballpark numbers here, around half their population is under 25. I mean, it's the youngest, the youngest continent on the planet. They don't need this virus. They don't get that. Young people do not get this virus. Young people do not die from this virus, right? Really? Um, they, so, so why, why is it going there in its experiment, right? Like the vaccine, especially mRNA, this is the beginning of biotech. This is the beginning of the fusion between humans and machine. This is an experiment, right? This is um, like the, the largest global experiment ever conducted on a human population. And Africa is the test ground for that. And yeah, and yeah, you get, in, you know, over and over, I keep seeing, um, looking at people who, not everyone, but I see groups that are, you know, um, and anti-imperialists working with um, groups from Latin America and that, and then I'll see an email or something about the vaccines and I open it thinking I'm going to see this, um, how vaccines are um, an instrument of imperialism and, and taking that position and stance, but instead they're angry that these people aren't getting the vaccines first, right? And they've, and they've accepted that, that propaganda framing of the racist thing, right? We have to get it to, to marginal communities first. We have to get it to black communities, brown communities, right? right. And in my head, I'm like, wow, why would you ever put this into your body? Yeah. Well, I mean, but but, you know, this is this came up on social media the other day because I, I posted a kind of rhetorical post about because I kept seeing people posting little photos of themselves and saying we got vaccinated today and they very proudly were virtue signaling. And I thought, well, that's you know, it's strange just on some basic level. That's something very perverse about announcing your vaccination. It's like, you know, a baptism or something that here we got, you know, we got vaccinated. Um, and and but it but it led to a discussion in which a lot of people were accusing me of being an anti-vaxxer and irrational and all these things. I said, you know, I'm not, but I think that this is a very politicized and, um, and propagandized vaccine. It's also untested. I mean, essentially, you know, those being vaccinated are part of the first human trial of this vaccine. Um, and if you want to take part in a clinical trial, fine. But, um, but beyond that, it, it sort of illustrated to me the tendency that people have to um, to call anybody 
dissenting um, a conspiracy theorist. Mm-hmm. And I said, but I, but I'm, but I'm, you know, I'm, I, my children are vaccinated. I don't inherently hate vaccination. I, I kind of distrust this vaccine mm-hmm. and and it is a politicized industry. It's not, I mean, the inventor of the PCR test, Carrie Mulls, who died, um, perhaps under strange circumstances, um, uh, the inventor, anyway, the Nobel Prize winner said, Fauci has an agenda. There's, there's no question. He doesn't know anything about this field. He has an agenda. And yet, you know, and yet this is, this is basically, this kind of stuff is ignored by Western media. Um, anyway, it just it just strikes me that um, that that there is this tendency um, in in Westerners and Americans certainly um, to see everything in this very binary way and and to take sides and it's a bit like what Corey was talking about with with the spectatorship people mm. um, people as they used to say in Hollywood want a rooting interest and so they root for somebody and they boo the villain and and everything is seen very simplistically because teasing out the truth researching the truth is is monumentally difficult and I and I admit it is difficult um, anyway Hiroyuki you wanted to I think say something well uh, yeah, I feel like I keep saying the same thing. I mean, it's it's uh, uh, this, this is the pattern uh, uh, we've gone through with um, uh, war on terror, war on drugs. Uh, people are giving these narratives um, of um, uh, we have to fight crimes, we have to fight drugs, we have to fight terrorism, and. Um, when people mobilize that way, there will be people who would go along with it and um, uh, talk about uh, super predator, super spreader, and uh, <laughs> all that. And uh, it's very hard, like John saying, it's it's um, it's almost impossible to uh, reason because it's based on fear, fear of terrorists, fear of. Uh, whatever you know, germ, um, and um, and this is really, really detrimental to healthy social relation, and that's the whole idea, um, colonizing social relationship. You know, just like capitalism take over our social relationship and uh, manipulate that into this framework of um, authoritarian. Um, uh, order, um, the the internet, the uh, digitization uh, does the same thing. Uh, everything is um, brought into this framework that can be controlled by corporations, establishments, social institutions. So uh, the the being on the internet, being on uh, being numbers, um, that's being currency you know we are we our behaviors our activities are uh the uh the currency to be manipulated to be um so it, it's a very very um um destructive situation you know and then the school situation is an interesting thing because the whole thing is basically uh, teaching um, um, unconditional authority. 
you know, you can't really uh, go up against teachers. You can't go up against authority. You know, there are police officers in the school, yeah. you know, and um, so there's nothing you can do if you are, you know, like eight, if you're nine and uh, if you're told by teachers to do this or that. So what they're doing is basically follow the orders and um, uh, intellectual activity, creativity, those things are against those things. I mean, if you teach, you know, those all the good things, we're going to have like a bunch of Martin Luther King. We're going to have a bunch of uh, Fred Hamptons. You know, the, the, that's not good. So you, you, um, you, you know, make them dumb. You know, it's a, it's a very, very, uh, uh, there's an inherent problem to the whole thing. Well, I think, I think that, that, this is and and again I keep coming back to this, but I feel like I want people who are not sort of politically conversant with a lot of these ideas, politically mature, if you want, to to explain that you know the the reset, what this the pandemic, these artificially extended lockdowns imply, uh, is is and and that. The, this openly stated goal of the reset, the, the sh whether one believes it's going to be successful or not, um, this build back better idea that that this is not to encourage creativity and autonomy and um, and and you know autonomous thought. It's to further alienate and and roboticize and condition children in schools and also to to virtually enclose and restrict people's lives. It also is is ushering in an era of absolute class separation. I mean it's it's the ushering in of a new caste system. Right. People think things are going to return to normal. Certain things will. Many things will not. And um, God only knows when these restrictions from from you know the COVID are going to be lifted fully, if ever. But my great fear is that is that what we are going to see is a society in which the most vulnerable, the underclass, the working class, who are already been thrown into to precarity and food insecurity, homelessness, by these lockdowns. Um, that these people are going to lead increasingly restricted lives um, uh, and that the sort of affluent and deemed um, uh, necessary, essential white collar, 30 percent, almost entirely white um, populace will will be able to do things like travel and carry on as before. Uh, and And that the intention is not behind any of this, the reset or any of it, the intention is not to usher in or, you know, equality. It is to further cement inequality. Corey. Um, I wanted to know, you had talked about talking, you know, people asking you what's wrong with the Great Reset, sort of not understanding what it is, like the resetting of the capitalist economy. I wanted to play a two minute clip that I found a couple of days ago um, by Mark Benioff for the Business Roundtable. Mm -hmm. And the Business Roundtable is um, US, it's the biggest corporations, American, and it's been around since uh, around 
actually around the same time as the World Economic Forum, 1972, I believe. And it's been one of the main forces in the U.S. that has crushed labor. And so this, um, it's a campaign called Imperative 21, which is the U.S. arm of the Great Reset Campaign. And behind Imperative 21, this campaign is the Business Roundtable. Okay, so um, Benioff is um, a member of the Business Roundtable. People can look it up. And it sort of sits in the background a lot like World Economic Forum. And um, Benioff, if people don't know who that is, he's a member of the World Economic Forum um, Board of Trustees. And he also serves as the inaugural chair of the World Economic Forum Center for the Fourth Industrial Revolution in San Francisco, the US one. And he also owns Time Magazine, right? Who's done a huge, a huge job on promoting Greta Thunberg, um, fake, you know, fake activism, fake left. Um, the Great Reset itself. Can you give me a the Reader's Digest capsule version of it? Well, he's basically, I mean, the, the Great Reset is the reset of the capitalist economy that was in danger of collapse, right? I mean, almost 300 trillion global debt. It's been, even if you look back to 2009, they, they had at that point... Um, plan to introduce the, the Green New Deal at that time, the global Green New Deal, along with the financialization of nature. And for whatever reason, it just wasn't ready yet, right? And they put it off till now and reintroduced it um, a couple years ago at, at this time. But it's the same old, it's like when people say what's wrong with it, you know, the whole idea of this, it's just new markets, it's emerging new markets, the sustainable development goals are emerging markets. So if what you want, everything that's happened to the planet, like the people that are behind this and think it's like a green new deal and build back better that will save the planet. But it's the furthest thing from that. It's not about the planet or, or protecting biodiversity. Right. It's about destroying more biodiversity in the name of, of profit and markets. It's about, um, creating more climate change not mitigation of climate change right like when you dig up when the plan to um what is it double the world's infrastructure within the next 15 years how can anyone with um you know a coherent mind think that that will mitigate climate that that will you know make climate emission that that will make emissions go down it's impossible there's plans to mine the oceans right that's starting now so this whole idea that it's going to be a green new world, all they're doing is rechanneling the money from small business and small people and the peasantry and the working class into corporate coffers. It's just re, rerouting, right? The, the money yeah. and creating new markets. And, That's a great... and Yeah. And I mean, it's not, I mean, the, the brochure, the glossy magazine brochure on the cover is solar and wind, which certainly... When you look at, you know, any electric cars, um, that's supposed to double the, uh, that will um, require doubling the world's energy just for cars alone. Um, but behind that is nuclear, right? Gates, breakthrough energy. Um, Mark Benioff, who's featured in this video, they are breakthrough energy. That is carbon capture storage. So we can continue to burn fossil fuels. That is nuclear. That's what um, mission, mission, what's it called? Mission innovation. Again, Breakthrough Energy, Bill Gates, they've partnered with 20, 22, 24 countries in the European Union. Everyone's on board. You know, I keep saying there's no one, yeah. 
they're they're all in the pocket. They're they've partnered with the civil society groups. They're all in the pocket together. The new markets. Um, that scene is right now. That scenes. That's a huge market, and right now, that's what's you know keeping everything alive. I, I mean, it's not about. I keep saying yeah, it's I not mean, about. The other, climate. the other, just very quickly. The other thing is that that, and I, Johan, I'm you had. I wanted to ask you because you wanted to say something, but but um, in fact, go ahead and say it right now, and then I have a, a riff no, you, on you this. Can, you but Johan, I need to think it through a bit. No, I just think that that um, uh, you know these these people are not well intentioned, and um, it's it's it raises issues about. Um, the neutrality of science, for example. Um, science is dependent on these same corporations for funding. Everything is based on um, uh, the funding sources that you are able um, to, to tap into. And this is true of politicians, it's true of education, it's true of um, the environmental movement. And people are extraordinarily naive if they think there's a whole, you know, hundreds of altruists out there who want to better mankind because it's just not true um but that was all i i you know i think that Corey's um summary there was very good and and um and exactly states the problem but yeah Johan. sure just let me add uh, my my perspective then because i think that the 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 resource and energy situation in the world today, if we look at everything from fossil fuels to these uh, necessary rare earth materials and so on, it's really pretty dire with regard to continuing actual economic growth. So so, but but nonetheless, my, my take is also that we're seeing here a, a radical concentration of political and economic power to the, the detriment of the, the lower and, and middle classes, uh, whether or not it's actually intended to, to usher in some era of, of, uh, of economic growth or not. And uh, that's the, the, the problem, I think. That's a central problem here that we, we're seeing some kind of <laughs> centralization of, of power in the face of, uh, of a crisis. And, uh, Right. This, uh, centralization of power is, is permeating all the institutions. As you say, science is it's ideological to, to a great degree. Politics is permeated by, by these financial interests and so on. So we're seeing the, the radical undermining of, of uh, actual political independence all over the world when it comes to the common human person. Well, two things that that um, occur to me, because I mean, that's absolutely true. Um, uh, one is that that uh, the you see these endless the part of the marketing of the reset, part of the marketing of these new smart cities and part of the Green New Deal, everything are are connected to to this idea of AI, of artificial intelligence, and that, that we are on the threshold of transhumanism and all of these, um, what are essentially fantasies. Um, but it strikes me that the, the um, growth of these kind of 
AI narratives, science fiction narratives, essentially, um, corresponds to um, to to the the actual uh, crumbling and destruction of the infrastructure that exists right now. Um, I mean, American infrastructure is absolutely crumbling um, and, and, and falling apart um, as we speak. I mean, bridges, roads, um, tunnels, uh, but everything. And uh, it seems to, to intensify the, the, the marketing of these stories that are really fanciful. I mean, in my opinion, I mean, I think this is one of the great delusions um, that, that drives um, the, the selling of this reset that people think, oh my God, it's going to, you know, it's this, this future of clean, you know, um, equality and, and, and everything at your fingertips and, you know, um, and none of it, I think is probably true at all. I'm not sure that for the people who control the financial um, aspect of this, that it matters because this is just marketing. But I think there is a, almost a psychoanalytic dimension to this, that it's a compensatory um, impulse because the actual world, uh, Western world, first world is falling apart. And, um, and, and there, there is an end that it can't um, continue to expand and grow. And yet that's what, that's what the, as Corey mentioned, that's what this portends. So, um, so there, is, there are these interesting contradictions somehow built into all of this. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Johan, yeah. Just let me quickly reiterate that I, my take on this is that we're seeing a strive to, to get as much control of a situation that's uh, characterized by, by a resource crisis before it gets out of hand enough for the vested interests to, to like lose every bit of influence they had. And I, I was just, it was interesting that you compared the, the vaccinations with, the, with baptism because I think, I think the vaccination and other things in this situation in some sense have become pseudo-religious rituals. I, I think it's, it's basically a form of, of ritual magic intended to dispel fear of this invisible virus curse. Uh, and I think these ritualistic structures and the symbolic realities associated with them is, is why I think people, for instance, aren't really questioning the basic institutions as such because it's part of our normal symbolic reality. And in connection to this, I think these... Uh, what I would call ceremonial actualizations of the symbols of power create the, the psychic conditions for our acquiescence to this radical transition that, that is being envisioned, whether or not it's, it's realistic or, or not. Oh, I think this is, this is so true. And, and, and I have a comment about, but Corey, yeah, you wanted to say something. Oh, there's so much to talk about. Um, I know. Yeah, like even with that, it's also patriarchal. I mean, the whole idea now that you have women, um, and again, like if you look at population control and men in European countries controlling um, black and brown bodies of women in the global south, right? Like that is so wrong and it goes unrecognized and normalized. And here we have 
a virus which for, for healthy people is very mild and which most people will have no problem recovering from, even if they, and they may not have any, um, what do you call it? Um, you know, what, what do you call it? Sorry, I'm not enough coffee this morning. They may not have any, um, you know, um, they might not get sick, whatever. They might not even have that. So why is it that we're not trusting our bodies? It's like that same relationship that we're losing with nature. We're also losing with our own bodies, trusting Bill Gates and pharmaceutical companies that have, you know, done great harm to not only our environment, to um, the bodies of women, children, and men. And we're trusting them over our own bodies, right? We've lost faith that our own bodies can, can yeah. have the capabilities, yeah. the biological capabilities of doing this. And then uh, of, you know, healing us and protecting us and, and all the rest of it. And we don't talk about health. We don't talk about um, how, to, how to be healthy, right? Just on um, pharmaceuticals. And then the whole thing with the consolidate, uh, consolidation of power, that Johan is talking about is so very true because just in the last couple of years, you've had the World Bank partner with the, the United Nations. You've had the World Economic Forum partner with the WHO. You have Gates buying up everything and buying his, you know, with his influence. You have the United Nations partnering with the World Economic Forum, like it's all consolidating, right? And so a huge right. contraction of capital within that consolidation. And, and then the ironic part as well. I mean, you hear a lot about smart cities and on and on about the client, you know, climate and Paris agreement. But if you look at what's being said at these um, ruling class get togethers um, that take place, you know, these summits that are more like um, Academy Awards, right? They're, really i mean <laughs> amazing they they've already stated so many of them they've already achieved their paris agreement goals and so when they talk about the trillions into climate we're not talking about cleaning up our own countries and doing it here we're talking about investing in global south in africa and in india in particular south asia that's where the right. money is going and that's where the investments are going so again not about yeah. climate not about climate not about climate mitigation. It's about well, climate itself, well, climate, uh, under the guise of climate. Yeah. No, I, I was I was listening to a, an African activist talk about we don't need vaccines. You know, we need hygiene and money and infrastructure, and you know, um, we're perfectly capable of making decisions for ourselves. But but this is this is that you know colonial paternalism that still exist and it's and africa is seen as a huge investment opportunity that's all um and and investments um means profit um return on your investment and and these people don't make um investments without the promise of a big return but there's one other thing that that um i just want to mention quickly and that is that you know the the in scandinavia here in norway Norwegians, I suspect, are going to be really amenable to the idea of this reset more than Americans, probably. And maybe this is true um, throughout Scandinavia. I'm not sure. But they the idea of a cashless society and that everybody can be kept track of this sort of massive uptick in surveillance and and um, that 
all of your, you know, purchases and where your money goes is, is being recorded. And, and I think most Norwegians don't see this as a bad thing, you see, Um, because this is a a really a rule following society. And um, it makes it particularly hard to convince people that um, the most vulnerable, the poorest, the people who, um, have the least are going to suffer the most from this. You are cutting off any opportunity um, for them to, uh, to to get a foothold uh, in the in the society. Actually, and and um, it makes it it I for me here certainly with conversations it makes it um, uh, extremely difficult uh, because because I have a, a very different perspective on that, and sometimes it's very hard to explain what that difference is johan yeah i know because you yeah, have... I used to i just want to let me riff on this uh, but but i i think hiroyuki said something really interesting earlier and i, I think you basically answered this question of, of uh, how to frame the problems uh, of the the transition or the the hyper technologization that we're speaking of that, that like the the creation of smart cities in a sense will radically entrench these social relations of capitalism into our very lives and they will subject us to a level of, of structural control that's been previously unthinkable but as you say john i think i think it's really difficult to convince somebody who is uh, invested in in this symbolic structure of, of our time it's like convince an american of the 1950s that uh, the car is is a net negative to society you're not going to do that because it's it's right. so symbolically right. charged and and here right. i think is, is the main issue how, of how to and i wanted to ask you hiroyuki if you if you i might ask you this previously but I think the art or music making or, or and all, all of these things are very centering in a sense. And I think these afford us uh, to return to self-reliance in a very tangible and, and simple manner. And I w- would like to ask you if you have any perspectives on, on, on this. Have, have you had like taught classes in sculpture and had any experiences meeting people in this setting? Uh, well, I I actually um, uh, had an opportunity to do a class, and uh, I sort of uh, uh, slipped in my agenda <laughs> of um, um, trying to bring in creativity as force of um, uh, to be human in a social setting, and uh, but. Uh, it was very, very difficult. I was not aware of a lot of things that are happening. So I could probably do a better job today. But um, 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 it, it is uh, my momentum for speaking is I think it's coming from the fact that I feel uh, existential uh, threat mm. uh, as an artist, because this is basically about destruction of uh, imagination and creativity mm. um, and all those things. And um, by uh, caging people in the, in the, uh, the framework of uh, hierarchy and uh, 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 draconian measures that are uh, restricting economic activities. And I do think it's, um, it's going toward um, 
depopulation, smaller uh, population, so that we have, you know, I think they're so, trying to solve the problem of um, uh, resources yeah. and um, control by having smaller people, mm. you know, and that's, um, and that's, I think, um, something we need to uh, uh, think, um, consider seriously because if that's what's going on, if that's uh, the aim, we could theorize that um, if the establishment can um, place technology and industry and all those things as controlled opposition, the hmm. uh, interests of the establishment and the interests of the dissidents can merge. Because if people denounce technology and industry, who's gonna suffer? You know, the uh, dysfunctional technology and the AI and all that, um, the, the people who are in power, who people who are in charge, they're gonna still profit. They can maintain the hierarchy, but the people who are in trouble, they will suffer. And by destroying, by demonizing um, this trajectory without dismantling the hierarchy, we will um, will be part of this scheme of depopulation because it doesn't matter if the technology work or not, you know? If it doesn't, maybe it's better, you know? <laughs> I just want to say one thing, and, and we're kind of probably wrapping up time-wise here, but but um, because it's very interesting, and, and I just want to say that I, I have become... I, I, I have changed my opinion um, to a large extent regarding um, climate and, and the question of resources and, and all of it. There's no question that there is a resource problem, um, or at least for certain things. I, I think the oceans are at risk, and, and I think clean water is, is an issue. But the population, there are not too many people. And not only that, but there there is a there is a fertility um, uh, crisis. I mean, uh, the 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 in in Europe in the advanced world, um, the birth rates have just fallen off a cliff um, to the degree that countries like Italy and so forth, are no, you know, are planning for mass immigration um, because they're going to have an aging population that needs to be taken care of. Um, so so it's the opposite of too many people. Uh, and and I no longer trust ninety percent of um, what I hear about climate, frankly, and and so much of this is connected to computer modeling for one thing, which um, has been notoriously wrong about this pandemic. But even that aside, the environmental movement is a massive um, business now. I mean, it's a massive industry, and um, 
it it is growing and there is such a coercive marketing about it and this ties into to what johan said which i think is really important and maybe next time we'll talk more about this this magical thinking um this new almost religiosity that that colors people's you know um refusal to to um to question anything this loss of skepticism um and and uh it is tied in you know it's just very interesting maybe last time we talked about this too that that so many of the radicals from the 60s ended up joining new age religious movements that were actually very authoritarian there's several books out about this um and it's it's very curious um and i i don't really have a working thesis about it but it is something that I see in the West now all the time is junk science and magical thinking. I mean, it's my mantra. Um, people, and certainly people have treated the vaccine. Um, partly this is the Trump effect, this, this outsized hatred of Trump, which is its own religion almost. Um, and, uh, everything is colored by that in a strange kind of way. Um, I mean, Biden's first couple of weeks in office um, suggests he's going to be one of the most hawkish presidents um, ever. So uh, it, and it won't, the American public will, you know, the people that voted for him will embrace it um, wholeheartedly. They already are. So I, 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 the question of resources is something we should really talk about. Um, because because I have a growing skepticism about an awful lot of what I hear, um, and and I've never entirely bought global warming in the terms that it's been presented to me anyway. So, um, but but I don't know. You know, it's something that I struggle with because I I truly don't know where I come down on all of it, except that I'm uneasy about it. So, um, any concluding remarks from people about this? Um, okay, I'll just jump in for one minute. I just want to just tell you um, about what you're talking about. I was watching a, trying to watch a one hour video from World Economic Forum from January 25th, 2021, which was the Davos con conference. And it's actually, it was actually put on by, hosted by Time, by the CEO of Time. It was titled Stakeholder Capitalism, Building the Future. And within that, um, they talk a lot about what you're talking about right now, about using scientists and experts as a means to, I will say, as a means to, I will say, coerce the public to uh, obtain the social license. I mean, even that video, I, we attempted to play the Mark Benioff, whether or not your sound guy can get that in there. That is all about um, trying coercing the social license of the people, the social license to operate. Right. And so they know, and it's also written within all the um, communication manuals on the vaccines. They have recognized that they need their scientists and their experts and their influencers to push everything they want, um, everything they desire forward. So again, if yeah. you go to, I can give you that link, John, if you want, if people want to watch it within that, they talk very much about that, about using doctors, scientists, experts, you know, to push this agenda. Oh, well, send me that. I I yeah, I want to provide links and, and book titles and stuff from now on. So we should provide links when I when I post this. So um, great. That's terrific. Mm -hmm.
um, because people ask me for that. Um, okay, well, uh, uh, I want to thank everybody. And I, let me, uh, Joel, can, I, can I just say uh, one really? thing? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, you know what? It, um, I, I do think that the uh, it, we're at the critical time that the uh, all the uh, uh, AI and blockchain and uh, um, all the um, uh, technological uh, uh, harding of the people is going on, and um, um, I do think that once things are in place, uh, it's probably uh, almost impossible to uh, reverse it. And uh, I'm saying this because. Um, um, I grew up in Japan and um, um, the nuclear industry, uh, the role of the nuclear industry um, uh, in the society has been huge. And they managed to build 50 nuclear plants in Japan. And this is really a um, sinister situation cultivated by the media um, uh, military uh, establishment, the U.S. Uh, um, uh, pressure and uh, geopolitical uh, presence of Japan as having means to protect itself with uh, potential nuclear weapons. And um, all those things cultivate, cul uh, culminated into this situation where um, Japan was relying on um, nuclear energy and uh, it's playing huge role in the uh, society. And they had three meltdowns. Mm. I mean, yeah. three meltdowns, the China syndrome, I mean, three of them, and they are still hanging on to it. You know, mm. they, they, they are not talking about doing away with it. I mean, you know, it's an extraordinary situation. You know, this is what happens when society is structurally um, um, made to serve the authority. People <laughs> cannot resist. You know, it's very, very difficult. So, um, and- Resistance is futile. Right, right, that. And, um, a lot of the activism in Japan um, have to do with uh, anti-nuclear um, activism. And, you know, that makes sense, totally makes sense. But at the same time, it's very hard to um, go about restructuring of the society, uh, go to the core of the problem. Uh, for one thing, like uh, we talked about a little bit last time about the uh, imperial structure of Japan under the protection of the United mm -hmm. States. Um, you know, it, when people realize that it's not under their, um, you know, decision-making power, they don't even go there. So, you know, they are deprived of uh, self-determination under the imperial uh, imperatives. And um, um, this is happening uh, in the United States as well. You know, people in the oppressed community are the ones who need to follow the rules the most because they are at the gunpoint. Hmm. So um, uh, it's really, and, and within all these, these uh, things we're talking about, we have this tendency to say that um, socialism, capitalism, they are the same. Mm -hmm. I keep hearing about it. 
and there is conscious effort yeah. in going against restructuring of the society from the root. And, um, mm -hmm. and I don't, you know, I don't even know how to talk about this because, um, you know, people, people are either uh, in survival mode or total denial. Not many people are talking about um, dismantling the obvious thing. And, um, you know, and it goes back to what Lenin talked about, you know, you need organization. But Corey? Oh, I've got hands coming up. Okay, Corey. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree with her, Yuki. And I just wanted to add to that, you know, like we just see like a massive amount of coercion being used against us with fear, right? I mean, we're enslaved into the system that's destroying um, our environment and our humanity. And we, um, sorry, I just distracted someone was at my door. Um, the, the coercion, right? And the fear. I mean, I've, we've been reading a lot. I think Hiroyuki discussed it in his recent article about how fear is such a powerful weapon when waged against us. And this whole idea if that only those that have destroyed the planet and destroyed our humanity can save us now, right? If we just magically reform right, the right, system, right, which cannot right. be reformed, and only they can save us. And if we don't allow that, if we don't acquiesce, then we will die of COVID or we will die from the climate in 12 years time, you know, exactly 12 right. years. And in, and in that context, dying from COVID is dying from a religious curse. You know, mm. that's exactly what it feels like. Right. Uh, right. Johan, did you, I see you wanted to say something. So uh, just a few final words. I have, a, I have a really nice poignant quote here from uh, Richard Feynman, the, the famous quantum physicist. And he said, I think it relates uh, to what to the three of you just said. Uh, it goes, uh, science is the belief in the ignorance of experts. When someone says science teaches such and such, he's using the word incorrectly. Science doesn't teach it, experience teaches it. So basically, as soon as you replace reason with authority in one form or another, you don't have science anymore because you've separate, separated the competent, self-reliant community of, of independent individuals from their immediate experience of reality. That's great. Yeah, that's, that's great. A, that's a good place to end, in fact. Mm. That's great. Yeah. Um, but like I say, junk science and... Um, uh, authority and and um, people are people are terrified and people are terrified of um, the stigmatizing that comes from from having a dissenting voice these days. It's a huge problem. All right, listen, we should wrap up. This is, but it's been great, and I hope we can um, do another one. There's so much to cover. I always feel like we just scratched the surface in a sense. But um, I will post links. And um, when this goes up, so if there's additional ones you think um, should have to post with this podcast, um, send them to me. And uh, Jack Lippman, as always, uh, everybody thanks you. Um, there'll be a bit more editing this time, I suppose. Um, but thanks, uh, Hiroyuki. Thank you, Corey. Thank you, Johan. And um, uh, I'll let you know when this goes up, guys. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.